Good day and welcome to the first full episode of Voice of Liberty, a weekly podcast produced by Convention of States. My name is Bradley Cooper and I'm your host. With Independence Day being tomorrow, or if you're listening post-July 4th, I still think it's appropriate, especially now, to reflect on what makes this country unique and why preserving and restoring our liberties can only come from engaged and informed citizens. Now, there's tons of different instances of civil unrest that has swept the country over the course of the last month, and there's no doubt that we live in unprecedented times. And on top of all of that, coronavirus cases are on the rise in many states, counties, and cities across the country. And I truly think that right now, officials more than ever are debating whether or not we should be imposing more and more restrictions for the sake of saving lives. Now, don't get me wrong. There's lots of civil unrest that has swept the country over the course of the last month. And it seems like no matter where you look, there's more and more. But we also can't forget about the coronavirus, Because more specifically, there's coronavirus cases that are on the rise all over the country. And leaders in our government are trying to propose more and more restrictions on people just like you and me. Matter of fact, Joe Biden, who is running for the presidential nominee on the Democratic ticket and the former vice president, recently stated that he'd require people nationwide to wear masks in public during this coronavirus pandemic. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has even said that a national mandate requiring everyone to wear a face mask is, quote, long overdue. And I think before we go any farther in today's podcast, addressing the fact that our country is currently in a situation and our leaders are currently asking themselves the question, is now the time to, quote, protect everyone, issue a mask mandate, or pause reopening and go back to this lockdown state? But the question that I want to ask and the narrative that I want to bring out is, are we really protecting everyone by adding more and more restrictions, or are we taking three steps back or complying and relinquishing our God-given constitutional freedoms? And I'm probably not the best person in the world to answer that question, which is why I'd like to introduce today's guest, Brett Sterley. Brett is no stranger to the Convention of States Project, especially here in Missouri. He is currently the Missouri State Director for the Convention of States Project. And Brett, who's also from the Springfield area, just like me, actually began volunteering for the Convention of States team more than six years ago. He organized volunteers as a district captain and grew up our ranks, becoming one of our most savvy legislative liaisons and now leads our state as the state director. So without further ado... Brett, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me on today, Bradley. Uh, this is going to be a great way to to reach our Convention of States team and uh, those uh, both current team members and prospective uh, future team members. Absolutely. And actually, before we go any farther, you were the one who brought it up. So I might as well say, if you aren't on our Convention of States team and this interview is, is really interesting to you or opens up some thought, I, I'd really encourage you, go to our website, www.co action.com that's cosaction.com and when you get there you'll see a take action button 
feel free to click that take action button. Learn more about some of the volunteer roles we have. Like Brett actually started out as a district captain, and that is arguably one of our most important roles in Convention of States. So feel free to check out our website. I'd really appreciate it. And you can actually learn a lot on our website. Just like Brett has, I'd say, learned a lot when he started off from our website, and which is why I really want to pick your brain, Brett. Over the course of this entire pandemic from, you know, mid-March when it really came down on here us here in Missouri and in the United States, what are your overall thoughts on the national response, but also the response in your community? Well, Bradley, I mean, there's no there's no question that uh, COVID-19 is a very serious health issue and it should be taken seriously. Uh, you know, we need to protect the elderly and those with compromised immune systems, as we do with any other viral infection. Uh, you know, we, I've always kept my mother inside whenever the flu season breaks out. It's just one of those precautions that you have to take, uh, you know, when you get uh, in advanced age or you have, you know, some, you know, co- comorbidities, I guess is what the buzzword is here now. So, um, you know, we should always practice good hygiene. Uh, that's kind of what we were taught back in grade school. Uh, and, you know, that, that way we can prevent the spread of any germs and just be clean in general. And, you know, if you if you do decide that you're safe for wearing a mask and that's your choice, then by all means do so. Take take those precautions that you think that are prudent to protect yourself and your family. You know, that's really interesting when you bring up, you know, the idea of if you want to wear your mask, go ahead and wear a mask. But when we have, you know, maybe the government coming in and saying you have to wear a mask or imposing more restrictions, I don't want to say it's almost like choosing winners and losers. But I mean, inherently, when you take a look at, you know, a big box retailer, they have more infrastructure in a global pandemic. They already have a mobile app. They just, you know, can take orders on the mobile app. A local mom and pop shop might not have that. So inherently, there's already this, you know, disadvantage that a small business has do you think that imposing more regulations or, you know, especially during a global pandemic when the economy is already all over the place, do you think the United States government and even local governments are actually farther bridging that divide or, or farther creating a divide between big businesses and small businesses? Well, I think so. I mean, from an economic standpoint, you know, I I, I can't really think of anything more cruel than telling a business owner that their business is non-essential. I mean, I'm pretty sure that that their employees and their families uh, think that that business is pretty essential in providing for, you know, their families. I mean, just think about all the employees who were told that their jobs were non-essential. I mean, we went from a from record low unemployment to over 40 million people of our friends and neighbors, just not people, these are friends and neighbors that are losing their jobs. And, you know, how many lives have been ruined here in the last four months that weren't directly COVID related. It was, they were just basically collateral damage. And, you know, many of these actions were based on computer models that were wildly inaccurate. And so I just really think that we really have to pause and, and think, uh, are we doing more harm uh, by, uh, by imposing some of these, I would almost term some of them draconian uh, uh, recommendations to, to shut down economies because at the end of the day, if we don't have an economic engine and economic activity creating wealth and opportunity, then we're not going to have the the, the economic engine to fund 
uh, finding cures, finding treatments, uh, and treating, uh, you know, exist, existing patients and, uh, and doing the R and D that we have to, in order to fight not only this, uh, virus, but future viruses. Yeah, that's, I mean, really interesting, especially when you take a look at what you said a little bit before with all of this is based off of computer models that now looking back, we're actually wildly inaccurate. So how does that come into play when the government is enforcing these guidelines or imposing restrictions and, you know, even specifically how they are doing that, especially when it's based on inaccurate modeling? Is it directly affecting really anything or is this all just, you know, hearsay that I may not be educated on? Is there really specific examples of how this is affecting people? Well, I think you can look at some of the data. Uh, there are hospital admissions uh, through the through the lockdown. Hospital admissions for uh, strokes and heart attacks were down forty, fifty percent. Uh, you know those those uh, those conditions just don't go away. I mean, they're they're acute for a reason, and people go to the hospital for a reason. But with uh, th- there's an indication that with with uh, you know those types of, of serious health issues that really need emergency medical attention, uh, with that much of a decline, it would pretty well indicate that people were just deciding to stay home instead of going uh, to the hospital like they really needed to. And you know, you look at hospitals that postponed uh, elective surgeries, and you know those are not those aren't exactly you know those aren't just like you know, nose jobs and Botox inject injections. I mean, we're talking about <laughs> joint replacement surgeries. You know, we're talking about, you know, non-emergency cardiac uh, procedures, you know, angioplasty, stents. I mean, these may not immediately be life and death situations, but they're very, very critical. And they can turn into life and death situations at, a, at the drop of a hat. And actually, the Missouri Hospital Association had reported that Missouri hospitals we're losing during the lockdown $30 million a day in revenue just by not performing elective surgeries. Wow. And if you, I mean, if you look at uh, some of our rural hospitals that are already underserved areas, I mean, this has really crippled those, those, those hospitals, those medical systems. So that's really, um, imagine that now somebody, you know, has a, has a hospital close. Uh, they live out in the country, you know, away from a population center, and now they have to drive two and a half hours or two hours to get to a, an emergency uh, facility when they have an acute case. You know, they they might they may not make it ever make it there. You know, these restrictions are costing more and more lives than maybe allowing hospitals or life saving entities to operate in some capacity. If we're just you know stopping these non elective surgeries, it's almost like we could eventually at least be harming people more by these restrictions. Oh, I think that's a very definite possibility. And I mean, you just, you look, the whole, the whole reason behind the, the, the lockdown and stay-at-home orders were to slow the spread of the virus. It wasn't going to say that the same amount of people aren't going to get infected. It's just going to take more time for the same amount of people to get infected. And we were told that we needed to do that so we didn't overload our hospital systems. And what ended up happening was that you had hospitals furloughing medical staff and establishing COVID wings that you know were, were mostly unoccupied. Uh, you know, President Trump mobilized um, Navy ships to... Uh, to the coast in New York City, and I think out to Los Angeles, and 
they didn't even have a COVID patient on them. And so, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo had ordered, I think, five or 600 ventilators, respirators, and ended up shipping about 300 of those off to another state because he, because New York didn't, didn't have the need for them. So I think it was, a lot of it was just really a knee-jerk reaction, and a lot of it's fed by media hype. I mean, it's a serious issue, but a lot of it's fed by media hype. Well, through that media hype lens, there, a lot can be missed. The, a lot that the media just doesn't have time or, or want to report on. And a lot of that's, you know, individual, personal stories. Were you or your family personally affected by the virus in any way? Well, absolutely. I mean, my my mother has non-COVID-related uh, health issues. Uh, she's early onset COPD and has uh, fluid-related congestive heart failure, and so she's in a she's in a delicate situation anyway. And the 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 first couple weeks of June, she was in the hospital uh, and and on a ventilator actually for uh, a period of time for pneumonia, and um, she's currently in a rehabilitation facility and. During all that time, you know, both both the uh, both the hospital and the rehabilitation facility were on lockdown, so they were not allowing any visitors. Um, the rule at the hospital was basically, uh, if if you were beginning life or ending life, you could visit somebody. Um, but you know, so if you're having somebody, if if uh, a baby was being born, they could have one visitor. Uh, if somebody was passing away, you might be able to have one or two visitors. So um, it was kind of like the, the bookends. But anybody there in the middle trying to get better, um, you know, was, was on complete lockdown. And in, until, until last Friday, uh, I had seen her for about five or ten minutes over the last month. And that's when she was transferred out of the hospital to the assisted living facility, the rehabilitation facility. And you just think about how much psychological harm has been inflicted on patients and their families and medical staff. Uh, I mean, it's, it's truly horrific. Well, I know my prayers are definitely with um, your mom and her, her recovery and hopefully her health. But I think, you know, when we have the government coming in and saying, you can't go see your mom or it, it has to be done in X amount of time slots and only you can be there. It begs the question, are these stay-at-home orders and is the the constitutional implications of that, is it actually impacting our civil rights or or is it not? Oh, I think there's, there's, there's no question. I think the stay-at-home orders and the econ- economic shutdown orders you know, we're not only violations of our civil rights, but violations of the Constitution. Um, you know, specifically, I mean, quarantine orders have been uh, have been issued in the past uh, locally for you know previous outbreaks, but I'm unaware of any instance to where otherwise healthy individuals were ordered not to leave their homes except for you know quote unquote approved purposes, and you know that's a direct assault on our natural rights and our First Amendment freedom of assembly. Um, you know, the economic shutdown orders were also a violation of natural rights and the Fifth Amendment's taking cl- takings clause. You know, the takings clause says that the government cannot take private property from you or deny you from enjoying your private property without fair compensation. Well, they did not do any of that. You know, they just said your business is closed. You look at churches. Churches were forced to remain closed while, you know, liquor stores and other, you know, say select retailers were allowed, able to remain open. And that's a clear violation of the free exercise clause in the First Amendment, at least in my view.
and it's important to note, uh, you know, if you, and I get asked this question all the time, you know, well, you know, if Congress and the federal government, if they're not, if they're not following the constitution now, you know, what's going to make them follow it if you offer different amendments to the constitution? Well, and my, my answer to that always is just like, well, they will say that they are following the constitution, but they're just following the wrong one. We're actually operating, we actually have two constitutions. We have the one that was, you know, written back in 1787, you know, by the by the by the uh, framers, the one nice one that fits nice and snugly in your pocket. You know, it's easy to carry, but that's and and it's been legally amended or constitutionally amended for 27 times. But that's not the constitution we're following. The constitution you can get this from the government printing office, and it weighs several pounds. I think probably costs you about 250, 300 bucks. And it says right there on the spine, the Constitution of the United States of America. And instead of being about, you know, roughly 2,800 words like what our Constitution is as written and amended, it's about 3,000 pages. I think it's about 2,860 pages here right now. And what it is, is it has the Constitution as written, and it has the amendments as the Constitution has been amended 27 times. But then the rest of the 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 rest of the nearly twenty eight hundred pages are all the court cases that the Supreme Court has written and the opinions that they've issued, basically telling us, interpreting for us what that little pocket constitution says. Now, this has been this is where we get the federal government overreach because the the, the courts have been complicit in this in giving the federal government cover, constitutional cover, uh, to, to, to violate all types of, um, all types of uh, individual rights and to get into all parts of the economy and, pri- and private and personal lives that they have absolutely no constitutional jurisdiction to, uh, to, to be involved in. And that is why, that, that's the constitution that we're actually following. It's the constitution interpreted by the courts, which, as we've seen, can be, you know, just can, it, it kind of makes you under, it kind of makes you wonder if they even have an actual copy of the constitution in the Supreme court building. Well, I certainly ask that question a lot. <laughs> For sure. But the, um, I guess one of the major questions I have out of your last comments was, is, is there anything in the constitution that sort of speaks to a, a mask mandate. I mean, even in, I'm, I'm hearing about it all over the news, even in our community, you know, our leaders are debating whether or not the government should force upon its citizens a mandate to where if you go outside, you have to wear masks. And we'll get into, you know, all the details about that. But before we do, when we're even looking at the concept of a mask mandate, is that even constitutional? Are we giving away some of our liberties, some of our rights when we even ask ourselves the question of a mask mandate? I I don't think that there's any constitutional um, justification for it whatsoever. And, you know, it's, it is, it is surprising. It certainly surprised me that, you know, President Trump has actually followed the constitution much more faithfully than Congress, the courts, uh, you know, many state governors, uh, local officials, and even, you know, recent past presidents, uh, Democrat and Republican. And, 
you know, I don't think there's any uh, authority in the Constitution to where a president can enact uh, shutdown orders, except in very, very rare circumstances. And and this virus does not rise to those circumstances. I mean, you're talking about you know times of times of war uh, where they can uh, they can invoke the in, the uh, the Insurrection Act, and, and there's there's different uh, there's different. Uh, 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 authorities that the president does have, but nothing that uh, that the COVID nineteen virus, um, you know, even approaches. As as far as what people can do, um, our our founding documents show that the consent of the governed is where the federal government gets their governing authority, and we're very very unique in that because in uh, in, in other countries and other constitutions or other charters for other countries. The, the governing power is 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 placed in a in a in a family or a position or a, a, a bureau or something like that. Only in our country, only in the United States of America, do we say that that the federal government de- de- derives their power from the consent of the governed. So it's incumbent upon us to. You know, if to actively give our consent or actively not give our consent, and what that takes is it takes in, involved, engaged, self-governing um, citizens. I mean, it's citizenship's not a, pi- a passive activity. You know, if you if you just sit on your couch or you know or or or, or play Fortnite, you know, all day long, you know, you're not doing anything to defend your 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 individual rights or freedom. Paul Senator Paul Laxalt from from uh, Nevada had a great quote and he said every day that uh, Congress meets you lose a little bit of your liberty. Well that's absolutely the fact and if there's not somebody if there's not active citizens that are jealously guarding their individual liberty fighting back then the federal government's only going to move in one direction as all central governments do. All central governments always try to accumulate more power unto unto themselves, and that's exactly what we've seen now. And voter and citizen apathy and lack of citizen involvement is definitely one of the reasons why we are in the situation that we're in right now. And you aren't just talking about that, right? You've actually the Convention of States Missouri team has actually went out and made involved, educated citizens in a matter of even just, you know, 72 hours. Could you tell us just a little bit more about what the Missouri team did to rein in the Missouri government, or rather the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services a a few weeks ago? Absolutely. And, you know, we we focus, the Convention of States Project, you know, focuses, you know, on, on, on restraining the federal government. But government can get out of whack and grow beyond its means, from, and on the local uh, city and state level as well. And we saw this a couple weeks, a few, actually about uh, two months ago here now. Um, back on May the 1st, the Department of Health and Senior Services here in Missouri uh, filed a rule with the Secretary of State stating that the director of the DHSS or one of their design, designees could shut down any school or any other um, place of public gathering uh, with or without a, a state of, of emergency order from the governor, and that that any anything that was shut down under those orders could only be reopened with the permission of the person 
who uh, issued the shutdown order. Uh, and you're looking, this would be an unelected federal bureaucrat, or excuse me, an unelected state bureaucrat, or one of their designees. And so there's, you have somebody that is, has zero accountability to the people that would have the ability to shut our economy down, close businesses, close schools, close churches, uh, with, with no recourse from the people. Well, uh, we were alerted to that, um, and, uh, we decided to get involved. We thought, you know, this is an anti-liberty uh, measure. And so on a Monday, uh, we issued a call to action. And within 27 hours, we just asked our, our Convention of State supporters, our team, to, um, uh, to, to contact the DHSS director and their state legislators uh, and just push back and just say, hey, we're not going to go for this. This is totally out of bounds and you have no authority to do this whatsoever. So within those first 27 hours, we had over 1,200 of our uh, volunteers contact their, um, their, uh, their legislator or the director and the director of health and human services or health and senior services. Well, by about 3.30 on Wednesday afternoon, so we're looking about just about uh, 48 hours after we issued our call to action, uh, the director of de the Department of Health and Senior Services uh, withdrew that rule from the Secretary of State's office. So this was one. This was a rule that did not have any uh, public hearings scheduled. Uh, they basically intended to fly this under the radar. Matter of fact, a couple of our legislators uh, were told that, "Hey, you know what? Just kind of sit back and and don't say anything about this, and just kind of like let it go." Wow. Fortunately. Fortunately, uh, we had um, our, some of our legislators were, were unwilling to let it go. Uh, there were 18 senators uh, led by uh, Senator uh, Robert Onder that were that uh, that filed a uh, that were signatories to a letter uh, to the Department of Health and Senior Services against this ruling. So it was a it was a really a, a group effort, but I think that the Convention of States uh, Project volunteers here in Missouri really turned out in in just uh, in, in great numbers and overwhelming numbers and prove that citizen activism, citizen involvement can move public policy. That's great. And I really want to highlight that activism, especially as we move into um, sort of putting a, a big picture view on everything that we've talked about today. You know, the, the previous incidences of government overreach that Convention of States and others have dealt with, they're, they're back now and um, stronger than ever with this, you know, proposed mask mandate in some cities, even some states. Yeah, you're exactly you're exactly right. I mean, it's the and and that's been one of the really frustrating things is because the 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 orders from city to city and state to state and across the country have really been inconsistent. Uh, it, it's really difficult to figure out exactly what the rules are in each community. And if you travel outside of your community, you know, trying to figure out, you know, can I, do I have to have a mask to go into this store or do I have to have a mask when I do this activity? And I, th I think uh, Dr. Pete McArdle had an excellent article in the American Thinker uh, this last Monday on the, uh, on the, uh, that'd be the 20, I guess the 29th. And He's a dentist, and he was saying that hey, you know, these these masks can work, but in, in order to make them work the way that they really to be most effective, you know, you're going to have to change this mask every hour because if you don't, 
bacteria and germs just accumulate inside the mass, just like a petri dish. And it just ends up being just a, an, an absolute potpourri of different bacteria and germs that doesn't do you any good at, at all. And it really degrades the effectiveness of, of a mask. If we were to take just one theme from our conversation today, it's that people have not only have the ability to be educated, but also take action. You know, when, when they don't agree with something or if they agree with what you're saying about an, an issue, there's a place for them, right? It's not like we're just having this conversation for the sake of conversation. We're having this conversation because we're going to put our, our money where our mouth is and say there's an organization out there that is going to you know listen to what you have to say and make sure that, that action can be taken to make sure that people have the ability to govern themselves and, and make decisions for themselves. Absolutely, and that's really um, that's that's what the Convention of States project it was was founded to do. It was our our mission is is to create uh, the the largest self governing uh, team of citizen activists that the country's ever seen, and we're over four point six million supporters here now. Um, we have over uh, 46, uh, I think about 47,000 petition signers now uh, here in the state of Missouri. And basically what that petition is, is, it, is it, it's using Article 5 in the Constitution, uh, which in Article 5, it, it delineates a couple different ways to, provo- to uh, propose amendments uh, to the Constitution. Because if you think about back in 1787, you know, the, the the framers in the the citizens who who debated the uh, the, the constitution in the ratification state ratification debates they really didn't know if they had given the federal government too much power or not enough power so they knew that and they didn't know that there might be some drafting errors and with you know changing uh, you know changing conditions it might might be that uh, you know this is a great document but they knew it wasn't a perfect document so we need to have a couple of different ways to change it. Well, one is if Congress proposes uh, the change, which that's done 20, been done 27 times uh, successfully, where two-thirds of both houses of Congress propose an am- amendment, uh, it passes by a two-thirds vote, uh, then that goes to the states, and then it takes three-quarters of the states to agree that they want that amendment uh, added to the Constitution at that point, uh, the Constitution is, ratif- is, is amended, and that, that amendment is ratified. Well, uh, Governor, or, uh, Colonel George Mason uh, said on September, September 15th of 1787, just two days before the end of the Constitutional Convention of 1787, you know, they're about done. They've been in there in Philadelphia in a, in, in a, in a hot, uh, hot environment. It's been a sweltering hot summer. And he said, hey, you know, guys, we've got a serious problem here because we've only given one party, Congress, the ability to change the Constitution. Well, what if Congress is the tyrannical institution? What what if they are the ones that need to be restrained? Uh, I mean, are we so naive to think that 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 a government that's become a tyranny will take steps to to restrain its own tyranny? Obviously, that's the question. The answer to that question is no. So they put the second mode mode of the of amending the Constitution into Article Five, and that's the Convention of States process, and that. Uh, process goes that it takes two-thirds of state legislatures to pass what's called an application 
to have a convention of states meeting. Uh, it's just an interstate meeting to where then uh, commissioners from those states can discuss uh, pro- uh, discuss uh, and propose constitutional amendments uh, in uh, in a, in a deliberative setting, a constitutional setting. They can only discuss issues that are germane to that application. In so to put that in in simpler terms, the application determines what the agenda of the meeting is, and it has to follow that agenda. Nothing can be discussed outside that agenda. So specifically with um, with the Convention of States Projects resolution, our our resolution covers three subject matter areas. That's restraint is is limiting the size and scope of the federal government. Uh, discuss term limits for federal officials and restore fiscal restraints. And, you know, that, those are the only things that can be discussed under a convention of states meeting, uh, you know, passed under our application. And then whatever is passed out of that meeting by a majority vote is then sent to the states, just like if Congress would have proposed it. And if 34 or excuse me, uh, three quarters of the states or 38 states agree with that proposal, then the constitution is amended. So everything is exactly the same, except it's it's where the proposals originate. Uh, are they going to originate in Washington D.C. with Congress? Or are they going to result re- originate with the states uh, in in this deliberative setting? So it basically sounds like you know I I hear all the time about the concerns where we we shouldn't take the risk with our constitution or it it's just like you know it's it's really a game of risk a convention of states is. It sounds to me like all we're doing is changing where the decisions get to come from. You know, do they come from the local level or do they come from Congress? And I don't know about you. I'd rather have, you know, the constitutional amendments that make it into the constitution that governs my government and and, in essence, you know, governs me from the local level, not from D.C. politicians. Well, well, for sure. I mean, in 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 looking, I mean, you can look at it this way: that you know, the, the con- Congress and the courts. We see this in the federal bureaucracy, and even the executive. They they change the constitution, you know, at different times on a regular basis, and we have absolutely no recourse whatsoever. We have no say in the matter. This at least allows us working through our state legislators to where. And let's be honest, we have more access to our state legislators. I mean, you know, my representative lives in my community. My senator lives in my community. You know, my, my, my federal congressperson and, and federal senator, they may not. And it's difficult to get in to, to see them. It's difficult to have that relationship. But I can have a relationship, as just as everyone else can, with their senator, their state senator, and their state representative. And by having more accountability... We have a higher likelihood of having, you know, you know, more, uh, you know, more solid uh, solutions coming from the state level, especially because this process allows the states to oversee the federal government. And it's basically just like a board of directors meeting. I mean, if you have a, a corporation that has gone, you know, 200 and uh, what is 200. Uh, 233 years without a board of directors meeting, well, it's really no, it's, it really shouldn't be any kind of shock that the, that the corporation is not performing as intended 
and within the bounds that it was meant to meant to perform. And so this is just a, a way that where the uh, the state legislatures can exercise their oversight of the federal government as they have a constitutional obligation and responsibility to. Well, if you're interested in what Brett was just talking about, or really anything that we talked about today, I, I have two things that you can do. First of all, visit our website, www.cosaction.com. You can learn so much in such a short amount of time by visiting that website, and you can get directly involved with your local team on the ground at Convention of States. And also, if you are really interested in the podcast, maybe have an idea for what you'd like to see on the show, some topic areas, or have a question about today's episode, you can reach out to our production team by emailing liberty at cosaction.com. Again, that is liberty at cosaction.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to seeing you on our team very, very soon. And until then, thank you so much, Brett, for joining me today. It was a fantastic episode, and I can't wait to see what we have in store for next week.